I have a very quick 60-second question for you both. And it's got nothing to do with class. It's got nothing to do with race or Thank anything God, like that. Thank God I didn't bring class to the table today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just if you could, if you could have it in your hand or even one that you respect in the game, what is your chosen favorite D&D weapon? Oh. Are we ready to roll? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Got nothing to do with mechanics. Got nothing. Well, maybe do mechanics, but class preferences or I, anything. I caught a 19 Ooh. on this. I also I rolled a 13. 19. Oh, shit. Rolling off, Megan. Roll off, yeah. I got I a, a nine. Seven. Yeah, okay. You're first. I, <laughs> um, I would say a flail is definitely my favorite. I don't know. I just flail? like, yeah, I just like the idea of whipping something around and hitting something and bludgeoning it to death just seems quite joyous to me. And just using a stick doesn't seem quite enough. The but... amount of the, 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 the catastrophic level of pain and death you would inflict with a flail is, is, unfathomable megan i don't know how you could sleep with yourself for, for saying that <laughs> that's why i enjoy the idea of it okay <laughs> okay i thought this was a judgment-free zone was i incorrect in thinking i, that? Oh, <laughs> I, my words out. I was yeah. judging you so much i was judging you so much i could barely get my words out adam what's yours uh i i don't know i never get to play a character so i it's yeah. as a dm they they uh they all wield 16 hit points and go down in the first round um <laughs> the, what, what what style of and damage am i doing today slashing. yeah <laughs> so um honestly i would say that i think my favorite just for flavor purposes has got to be the sickle we don't see mm. enough sickles but it You're right it just don't. does it just does shitty damage that's why but i love the idea that i mean you, everybody has their daggers, which do 1d4 piercing, and you have a club, which does 1d4 bludgeoning. And and then you, I think the sickle, which does the 1d4 slashing, is just underutilized. And I think that's badass. And I would like to be, I would like to see more sickles and scythes and, and scimitars and these slashing weapons that are really, they're going to open up someone's guts. Yeah, I you're really, right. even scimitars don't come up much. Yeah, yeah, I really like them. Also, I like the idea of you using a, a sickle to like catch somebody else's weapon and then twist it in your hand, and it comes and you have disarmed them now. I don't know. I just think it's badass. I think sickles mm. are cool. I like it. Um, I, this is going to sound really boring. I really like whips. We know, Gary. Okay. We Fuck, know. I that. As soon as those words left my mouth, I was like, this is this is a soundbite right here. Um, Kel surprise. <laughs> well, this is for a mechanical reason. I think that people are are put off by things like whips because they only have the D4. But if you're using it, you know, with your rogue like I did, it's got it's got temper reach. It's a finesse weapon. You stack all of your D6 damage dice on there. You get advantage if you play it properly, and that that D four compared to a D six doesn't really matter at that point. But uh, I just like it. It's got loads of little funky things you can do with it, with its with its reach and its finesse. It's versatile, and uh, it's my favorite one. I I there love the whip. Honestly, that was nearly my answer, and then I went with sickle because I yeah I had a feeling with you, Terry. I had a feeling. Interesting. <laughs> Let you have that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the thing that I wish that it had was the um, I wish the whip had the light. Uh, yeah. descriptor on it so that it was or the light property so that you could have it in your offhand for two weapons fighting. or you could have dual whips yeah <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i don't know if discord's cut off or not i'm like that definitely landed a laugh i just can't hear it <laughs> yeah. yeah you keep telling yourself that yeah <laughs> all right <laughs> i'm so much funnier now that no one is in the room with me yeah <laughs> now, that, now that we can't read each other's faces yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> now that I can't see the look of disappointment on Dan's face, I'm so much funnier. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast with your DMs, Adam, Terry, and Megan. Okay, welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I am Terry, with me are Adam and Megan. Hello. And today we're talking about Bronze Dragons. First impressions, guys, Bronze Dragons, excited or not? I'm not going to lie to you, when I was reading about Bronze Dragons, I kept forgetting which dragon we were actually doing, and I had to keep double-backing. <laughs> you read Brass Dragon? I Megan read... read Brass Dragon three times. I've been reading so many different metallic dragons recently that I was like, which one is which? And <laughs> I kept forgetting what tab I had open. And honestly, like I like Bronze Dragons a lot just because they are they do have a lot of different like characteristics to them. But mm-hmm. So overall, I feel like they are the most different of the metallic, from my opinion anyway, so far that yeah. I've read. So yeah, that's yeah. that's my starting thought thoughts on them. So nice, yeah. I would I would agree that bronze dragons are one of the more different ones. Bronze dragons and white dragons, I find, because just because white dragons are so animalistic compared to the others, I find that uh, yeah, those two are the the most different. Adam, I don't know. I really like the prankster side of the copper dragon. Like that that mm-hmm. sticks out to me. There's no other prankster dragons. There are a few warlike yeah. dragons, and that's that's bronze for me. I like the fact that mm-hmm. the bronze dragon is all about war and proving themselves. But they're not in the upper echelon of, of other dragons. So it's like, they do have shit to prove. And that's why yeah, they, they yeah. stand out to me. Like, I can do this. And then sometimes they can't. But they're going to really yeah. fucking try. These are the guys that use hard work over, you know, innate talent, right? Yeah. And then when they're successful, they're humble about it. Which I mm, think yeah. is what I like the most about them. This dragon strikes me as the dragon which is always the general, but it's like never the king. Or never the emperor. But always, always playing that general kind of role. Yeah. Um, that's how I kind of see him. Okay. All right. Well, as we're moving into topic one then, so this is where we always talk about mechanics. And nope, no, we're not. I'm going to take a run through the dragons first. Sorry, guys. <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> it's your first day. It's okay. Are you forgiven? <laughs> I was looking at the wrong part of my notes and I was like, scroll back up. No, I'm not doing that. Bit You're on the bit. wrong dragon on the wrong tab of your computer. Can you get it together, <laughs> sir? Yeah. Okay. So before we get into topic one, where we talk about mechanics and tactics, I'll give you guys a run through of the dragons. Um, I'm going to go from the monster manual. I won't cover every point because so, obviously people want to read it, but I'll give you the main uh, parts of the dragon. So bronze dragons are, are, are coastal dwellers that feed primarily on aquatic plants and fish. Uh, they take all forms of friendly animals to observe other creatures of interest. Typically, we hear about metallic dragons switching to humans or humanoids, um, but for mostly animals for these guys. Okay, So their appearance is a ribbed and flute crest defines the shape of a bronze dragon's head. Uh, curving horns extend out of the crest, echoes and spikes on its lower jaw and chin. To help them swim, because bronze dragons, uh, they, they are uh, aquatic, uh, so they have webbed feet and they have smooth scales. Uh, a bronze dragon's wormling scales are yellow and they're tinged with green, and only as the dragon approaches adulthood uh, does its color deepen to a dark and rich uh, bronze tone. I, I love that they have webbed feet. I think that's, that's awesome. A dragon's <laughs> webbed feet just blew my mind. Do you think it would be conscious about it? Yes. I want I, I want every dragon born, every bronze dragon born to have web feet too now. It doesn't help them with swimming. It's just like they've got a birth defect. Aww. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So bronze dragons, they love to watch ships that are traveling up and down the coastlines near their lairs, sometimes taking the form of dolphins or seagulls so that they can expect those, inspect those ships closer um, and see the crews. Um, a daring bronze dragon um, might even slip aboard the ship, um, whether it be as like a rat or a smaller rodent or something, or even taking on um, a member of the crew. So they seem to be quite quite curious, but it's more out of uh, personal interest rather than wanting to do anybody harm. I like the fact that they will get onto these ships, and if they find something that they like, 
they'll mm-hmm. they'll actually talk to the captain or whoever's running the ship and uh, and yeah. barter for it. They're not going to steal it. They'll just say, "Okay, hi. Just so you know, I'm a dragon, and I would please like to have uh, that painting over there." Yeah. I will give you uh, these gems, right? And I like that. I like that they're almost like like sneaky merchants. Like the captain opens up his captain's chamber, steps in, and the bronze dragon is sitting there behind his desk and swivels around in the chair and says, I've been waiting for you. I, I feel like at first he would try and swindle it without revealing that he's a dragon. He would just pretend that he's like a normal merchant or something looking for a trade. And then it's the last line he drops like, hey, like, I really didn't want to do this, but I just need you to know that I'm a, I'm a dragon. So I feel like you should do what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, I always like I always like the idea of when the dragons, when they're in their human form, like their humanoid form, is there being some sort of telltale as to which one they are. Would it be like the copper dragons have like big coppery gingery sideburns? Or I kind of imagine these guys would still have like the golden green eyes. Um, they have webbed hands. They- it gets the, it's the wings that give it away, right? Okay, I can't, I can't argue with that. That's perfect. Okay. okay, moving on. Bronze dragons are also known to be war machines, so bronze dragons actively oppose tyranny, and many bronze dragons yearn to test their metal by putting their size and strength to good use. So when a conflict unfolds, a uh, bronze dragon will uh, will kind of analyze all of the evidence and ascertain to which side that they want to uh, to to align with. And then once they become allies, they're known to be very staunch allies. So they're uh, they're likely um, unmoving in their decision. Thoughts on that? I like that they're loyal. This to me, yes, this, it stands out as being one of the perfect um, NPCs that can come in and help you at low levels. They give you quests. They pull your ass out yeah. of the fire a couple of times in tier one. They're a friend in tier two and then in tier three, you got to go rescue them, right? Like the, yeah. the fact that they're so damn loyal and they're focused on combat means that they're the only ones that I can really see showing up in a dungeon to help you out. Yeah. yeah. And when you've got those types of NPCs and allies, it, it gives the DM room to get much more creative and, and much more aggressive with their dungeons, knowing that you're going to have that, that stronger NPC like this to, to, to help the party. Um, it, it lets you get a little bit crazier if you want a, a more exciting game. Yeah, yeah, I feel like you can go in any direction if you want to. Like, you could even go the comedic relief side of it where it can get really annoying that they're so dedicated to your cause. <laughs> Like, <laughs> because they also state that like their their dedication is unwavering, right? So yeah. if they decide that this is the way that it is, like their alliance won't change. But if your team goes through a change and their alliance shifts and they're like, okay, never mind, we're gonna go di- do this, I feel like yeah. the dragon would get really confused. He'd be like, wait, you told me <laughs> that we were doing this because it was a good cause because of X, Y, and Z, and now you're telling me I have to do this? Convince me. <laughs> The NPC is the one asking, are we the baddies? For exactly, yeah. right? Are we the bad guys? <laughs> the question every D&D part, yes. Okay. Uh, they have well-organized wealth. So bronze dragons uh, loot sunken ships and, and they even collect colorful coral and pearls uh, from the reefs below them. Uh, when a wa- bronze dragon pledges to help an army wage war against tyranny, it asks for nominal payment. If such a request is beyond its allies' means, it might settle for a collection of old books on military history uh, or ceremony idol commending uh, their alliance. So a bronze dragon might also lay claim to a treasure held by an enemy that it feels would be safer under its protection. So a few different ways of making deals there and, and, and dealing with humanoids. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Um, I like the fact that I, I read somewhere that they actually eat the pearls. So like they, oh, they like okay. pearls that, because they like to eat them and consume them. That, because they're that's, delish. 
that's weird, ridiculous internet speculation. I've been hearing that yeah. rumor forever, but I've never found that in any edition of, of a book. It may no, be okay. I, like, Someone's going to yell. I agree. That's why I was like, but I just think it's super really, far fetched. Yeah. I think it's ridiculous and fun for the right <laughs> kind of campaign. But I also like the idea that, you know, every once in a while he needs some money. So he just goes, goes into the outhouse and then comes back a few minutes later with some pearls. <laughs> I don't like the idea of the dragon eating the pearls because that means how confusing is that for the party when it comes out the other side and it looks like a four foot Malteser. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Um, it's not a puzzle I want. The thing that I like about the wealth is it, its allies can't pay. This is the one that doesn't get angry. It doesn't hold a grudge. It says, okay, well, what can you do? Tell me, what, yeah. what, what do you have? I'll work with you. Yeah, let me work with you. I'm trying to help you. I'll because put you on a payment plan. We'll make it there. Yeah, it, because <laughs> it, it's the greater good that matters to this one, right? More so than really yeah. any of the others. This is the one that's like, you know what? <sighs> you need to pay me something. Here we go. He's a guy that's like, look, just give me a copper piece so we can say that there was a transaction here so that mm-hmm. I, I can help you out. Yeah, or maybe just go kind of Negan and only kill one. <laughs> No, no. Lawful <laughs> no, good, Terry. That's too, yeah, lawful that's good. Too Dedicated to the cause. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk lairs. So Bronze Dragon Lair uh, will typically be in coastal caves. So uh, the dragon might salvage a wrecked ship and reconstruct it within uh, within its uh, within its chambers. Um, and it can also use its treasure vault uh, to nest its eggs as well, which I just found interesting. Um, I typically imagine their layers of having lots of like underwater entrances and lots of areas where you will be submerged in water to get there. So I find that these layers are probably going to be very challenging to, to enter. Uh, I'll get your guys thoughts on that in a second. I just want to say the layer action. So the dragon creates a fog as though it had cast the, the fog cloud spell. The fog lasts until initiative 20 on the next round. Also, they have a thunderclap that originates at a point the dragon can see within 120 feet of it. Each creature with a 20-foot radius centered on that point must make a DC 15 con save or take 5 or 1d10 thunder damage and be deafened until the end of its next turn. You guys have thoughts on the lairs? I think that's weak. We've seen some really crazy cool shit, especially with the chromatic dragons in their lairs. Right. Um, where there were like mazes and the it was a green dragon. You had to like push if you were to push mm-hmm. through the thorns and the brambles you're taking all this crazy damage and it's yeah. slowing you down and this one is just you know you may lose 1d10 damage yeah. or be deafened until the end of your next turn it's and it's so short the fog lasts until like for one round right so it's just it's uh, it's weird i want i want the fog to last longer i want the deafened to last for a minute Right. Yeah. Like I just I just want more more from this. I'm I'm fine mm-hmm. with the effect itself. It's just the durations kinda suck. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I do agree. It'd be nicer if, if it's your layer. You have the duration of what happens in your layer should be extended. But I do feel it kind of plays into the fact that he is not a violent dragon. And he technically in my mind is probably one of the more boring types when it comes to being overly luxurious when it comes to its lair like we've talked about these other dragons where like tall pillars carving stones all of these things to make their layers look beautiful and gorgeous to the eye of the beholder when they come in whereas i think these dragons are the modest creature where they don't really care what it looks like i don't know if you guys would agree with that sense but like it's where i live i don't really need it to look beautiful because i don't want them to know how rich and famous I am because I'm not rich and famous. Yeah, they do feel more pragmatic. They're not going to yeah. be a showy. But I, I don't agree with the fact that they're not violent. They're not malicious. 
but they're generals. They are they go to war. They will fight ferociously on the battlefield. So I feel like if there's an incursion on their home to take the to take the things that they've earned, right? This isn't what I'm owed. This is treasure that I've earned. I brought that ship here. I fought with that army and got that that payment. Right? Th- these are my things that I've earned. And have someone else kind of infiltrate and try to steal their stuff, I can imagine them getting pretty pissed off. There doesn't necessarily need to be a layer. Um, like the 1d10 damage for for the uh, thunder is fine to me. That's that's sure whatever. Yeah. I just want to point out how the uh, the military soldier dragon uh, layer actions are a smoke grenade and a flashbang. I don't know if that went by anybody there. <laughs> so I kind of uh, I kind of yeah. imagine it as like dark. <laughs> fog of war from the smoke everywhere flashbangs going off and then of course like the desecrated bodies from the that were still on board the ships that have been pulled into the lair it's going to look like a a, a level on call of duty i think it's going to look uh, pretty scary i do also feel like these are the ones that would be hanging in like the center of their throne room basically waiting for them to show up because they would rather hand-to-hand combat and look the man in the eye when he kills him you know what I mean? That's how I <laughs> they're see They're going to have a last stand. Like, you know, like if they have to fight and they're going to get violent and these guys are like they can kill someone with a single swipe like any other dragon. But I feel like these are the ones that instead of technically if they have to kill, they're going to want to look them in the eye when they kill them. Like more melee yeah. style as opposed to killing them with their lair. I love the idea. I love the idea of them sitting in their throne room waiting because I like the idea of the, of the party rushing in. And the bronze dragon is sitting there just like like fingers in, in like the little tent, right? As, yeah. as he sits there waiting for them in the throne. And he stands up and he says, I will give you an option. You send forth your greatest warrior and we will do this man-to-man combat. Or I will turn into my dragon self and I will take on the whole party. Yeah. Which way would you like exactly. to do this? And I, I, I think that that's, there's a weird honor to these guys. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I like it. Okay, um, let's touch on regional effects then. So the uh, the region containing a legendary a legendary bronze dragon's lair um, is warped by the dragon's magic. So once per day, the dragon can alter the weather in a six mile radius centered on its lair. The dragon doesn't need to be outdoors, otherwise the effect is identical to the control weather spell. Uh, underwater plants within six miles of the dragon's lair take on dazzling, brilliant hues, and within its lair, the dragon can sell. Uh, set illusory sounds uh, such as soft music and strange echoes so that they can be heard in various parts of the lair super creepy you are really <laughs> kind of painting this davy jones scenario here terry i see them i had this image and and go with me on this go with me on this because it depends on whether or not you want to do like the serious general type or i like the idea of like um basically anyone who went through vietnam think of what the personalities are like in like apocalypse now but done on a very kind of pixar level so it's like planes three apocalypse now you kind of stare at him and he kind of zones out and there's like helicopters and machine guns and screaming kids going but it's also kind of lighthearted as well i feel i feel like it's it's cars four but it's back to the farm and it's apocalypse plow (laughs) it's like i mean that like he would be like the hilarious character exactly where his name would be something really long but just call him sarge that's what i'm seeing with this one yeah. yeah, yeah, you could definitely play it that way. I also see that that it could be the scary coastal dweller as well, or an, yeah. or almost a knight, right? That yeah. is standing there in his gleaming bronze armor, almost like um like Roman bronze, mm-hmm. and it's standing there in the war council. Basically, your paladin of the dragon family. Yeah, but but it could <laughs> this guy could really go a lot of different ways. There's a lot of options for for a bronze dragon depending on how you want to play him. Um, okay, well, let's go through their, their characteristics here then. So let's touch on the Wormling first. So armor class is 17. Yeah, please uh, touch standard my Wormling Standard hit points are 32. Sorry, couldn't hold that one in. It cut out for a little bit. You, and I, you said, 
I heard touch my wormling and Megan laughed. All right, so I'm moving on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Speed, 30 feet, fly, 60 feet, swim, 30 feet. Okay, so starting with the wormling, their strength um, and, and the rest. So 17 for strength, 10 for dex, 15 for con, int is 2, wisdom is 11, charisma is 15. Uh, saving throws at dexterity, plus 2, plus 4 for con, plus 2 wisdom, plus 4 charisma. Skills, perception, stealth, damage immunity is lightning. And for their senses, they get blindsight, 10 feet, dark vision, 60 feet, passive perception of 14, uh, challenge rating 2, and they know Draconic, of course, as a wormling. Uh, so they're amphibious, so this dragon can breathe air and water. And their starting actions, they get their bite, their breath weapons, which are lightning breath. The dragon exhales lightning in a 40-foot line that is 5 feet wide. Each creature in that line must make a DC 12 dexterity saving throw. Standard damage is 16 on a failed save, and half as much on a successful one. They also have their repulsion breath. The dragon exhales Hills, repulsion energy in a 30 foot cone each dragon in that area must succeed on a dc 12 strength saving throw on a field save the creature is pushed 30 feet away from the dragon okay anything you guys want to touch on starting out there yes first and foremost the strength con and charisma being the most important stats for them really does stack with the idea that they're the paladins of the dragon yeah. world yeah um and yeah. also the idea that they got a swim speed which is fantastic i love that they've got the web feet I wish the swim speed would be a little bit faster, but I'm okay with 30 feet for now. Mm-hmm. My my big thing is that I've just I just had to look it up. Um, they're amphibious because of course they are, but I'm like, wait a minute, other dragons were too, and not every dragon is amphibious. If for the metallic dragons, it's only brass, bronze, and gold. Copper and silver are not, which surprised right. me. Right. So like I like that we're like I know that the green and the black are as well, but I I don't remember if. Uh, I think and white, but I don't remember if blue or uh, or red are. I can't remember. I don't think blue is. Nah, I gotta look at well. Blue, blue's be... dragon or uh, desert, right? Yeah. Uh, red is not because they're up in the mountains. I was looking at it now. Blue is not either. So there we go. That's actually mm. a great uh, advantage for the gold dragon, who's of the four most powerful kinds of dragons. They can breathe underwater, right? So they, they could, in theory, drown their opponents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So moving on to the young bronze dragon, then you're going to see a little increase in the armor class to 18. Hit points are going to go up to 142 as standard. Stats are going to increase, but you're still seeing the strength, con, and charisma uh, being their main three. What we're going to add now is a new language, so common. And we also get the multi attack now, so bite and claw for their multi-attack so i believe it's uh one bite two claws we're going to see increases in dcs for their lightning breath and repulsion breath i always i never feel like there's much to say when they move to young i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on it here but it's just everything beefs up a bit yeah and that's usually kind of how that goes but i I do feel like with this one i just wanted to like dive into this one doesn't get a lot of the language options that its other metallic brethren get um so i'm just imagining this being the dragon and like the metallic group where they start speaking in random languages and this dragon is just rolling his eyes in the corner like of course because they know i can't speak it (laughs) 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 or maybe this if this is like the proud kind of military officer dragon maybe they would just pretend like they can and then just poorly repeat the last word of everybody's sentence and nod along. Just laugh when everybody else is laughing, but they know that he doesn't know why he's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I would say the one big mechanical boost here that is kind of hidden is the repulsion breath. Because now you get pushed 40 feet away, which is more right. than your movement. Right? With the wormling, exactly. it's 30 feet. So you get pushed away, but then on the next turn, you walk right up to them again. But for the young dragons, unless you're dealing with monks or rogues or barbarians, you're going to, or, you know, the ranger that has cast whatever stupid spell on himself, Mm -hmm. 
Um, you're yeah. gonna have trouble getting back to them. You, like this is gonna be a ranged fight for a lot of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great point. Um, okay, so moving on, the adult uh, bronze dragon. Then hit points will go up 212 for standard. Armor class goes to 19 now. Um, so we're gonna start to introduce legendary resistances. So they get them three times a day. If they fail a saving throw, they can choose to succeed instead. Uh, we get frightful presence at this point. Quick reminder, just in case you haven't heard the other dragon episode, so each creature of the dragon's choice that is within 120 feet of the dragon and aware of it must succeed on a DC 17 wisdom saving throw or become frightened for one minute. A creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on itself with a success. If a creature saving throw is successful, or the um, effect ends for it. Um, the creature is immune to the dragon's fightful presence for the next 24 hours. Lightning breath, repulsion breath, uh, DCs will increase, and it's the adult bronze dragon where we now get changed shape. So the ability to change into small creatures or humanoids, and you get your legendary actions now: detect, tail attack, and then the wing attack for two actions. Team anything? Yes. One, we didn't really mention that. I mean, the multi attack kicks in for the young dragons as well. So you mm-hmm. go from from one attack to three, which is yeah. a big a big difference, right? Um, I love the frightful presence uh, for every one of the dragons. This is standard that it shows up uh, when all the legendary stuff does. And I love that it's part of the multi-attack. You don't have to pick or choose. You see a lot of the same mechanics now. The wing attack, the tail attack. We add the tail at this level. The breath weapons are getting more and more powerful. Repulsion breath is now pushing someone 60 feet away. Right? And we're seeing the DC to to avoid this stuff. The DC strength for the um, DC 19 strength now. DC 19 dex for lightning breath. All these numbers are going up. Which is uh, a lot of fun. It just occurred to me now that... Because you, you focused on frightful presence there for a moment, Terry. Do you guys yep. think that that uh, with the frightful presence, he's got to learn how to be scary? Like, do you think between young and, like, you just picture a young dragon standing in the mirror going, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, it just reminds me of, like, the Lion King when Simba's trying to learn how to roar. But exactly. I yeah. also feel like this dragon, I don't know if you guys would agree with me, but I find when I was just looking at general art and the look of these dragons and reading about it, I feel these ones are the scariest looking out of most of the metallics, at least, because they have the most horns, like the biggest teeth, um, their wing stance is different from the rest of them. Um, and then they've got their webbed hands and feet like these guys, in my opinion, are probably one of the scarier looking ones. But because they're so charismatic and they 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 choose and try to be as less violent as possible and less needed, um, they remind me of like Draco from like Dragonheart. Like That's this awesome. is the dragon that I picture in my head is that they're super scary and everybody's afraid of him because of the way he looks, not because he technically has a frightful presence and he had to try really hard to be scary when someone got to know him. Right. Yeah. I feel like that's how I feel this dragon would be specifically, just because of how he looks. I, I got a I got a buddy like that in real life. I got a friend Mike who stands at like six foot six or taller. He's utterly massive. He works out. He's ripped. He's got like this big goatee on him, and he is just the gentlest person in the world. And once you get to know him, he is just when he tries to to tell an offensive joke or something, he blushes and shit like he can't. He can't get it out. He's just the nicest, sweetest guy. <laughs> but people avoid him. Like, strangers avoid walking on the same side of the street as him Aww. when he walks down the road. Like, <laughs> no, that's, yeah. that's tragic. That's yeah, tragic. So, so, hey, Mike, I know he does listen to the podcast. So I'm like, hi, bud. Good luck. He doesn't play D&D. He's just, he, honestly, he just supports me. So, <laughs> he, just, he doesn't play D&D. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not even joking. He's just like, 
Hi, Adam. Listen to the podcast. Real good this week. Thanks, man. Aww. Mike, so, you should play D&D because then you get to sit down and all your problems are halved, really, at that point. Everyone looks a similar height when you sit down. Yeah, but down. he can't play D&D because he, can't, he physically can't sit at tables. He's like the fucking Goliath at the, at the halfling house, right? Like... Really? His, oh yeah, no. His knees like hit tables. He has trouble in restaurants. The man. Well, is he a man. can well, sit on the floor. Kill him for being wrong <laughs> and against God. Mike, we're gonna have to kill you. I'm afraid. <laughs> it's been decided. I think he might be one of the original Greek titans left behind. Anyways, <laughs> no, do, do, do you guys think that that they do would change shape too before they turn adult? Where they're sitting there and they're like, okay, okay, all right, I'm gonna turn you into a human, and they're standing there in front of the mirror, going, huh. no, 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 wait, no, humans have. Humans have smooth skin, and, and like, and they're just trying over and over and over <laughs> yeah. again. Uh, oh, which side do the which side do the thumbs go on? Oh, yeah, exactly right. Like, <laughs> I, I, your I, instinct. Two I really, I really enjoy the idea that that these guys are sitting there. Ah, I can look like a dragonborn, but I can't get all the way human yet. Uh, all right, let's hurry on over to the uh, to ancient. We know with ancient, nothing really changes other than everything beefs up. Uh, the DCs now go to twenty three for the repulsion breath and the lightning breath. And their final hit points of standard are 444 or 24 D20 plus 192. Armor class now is 22. What do we think for the ancient bronze dragons? Statistically, they're the third best of, of the metallic. They're comparable to, to green. This is yeah. pretty standard. Like um, Mechanics-wise, we've covered this in every dragon episode. The numbers yeah. go up, but the abilities are the same. And there's nothing really yeah. that stands out about them, which is kind of tragic. Megan? I don't know. I, I, I agree and slightly disagree just in the sense where I feel like the like their, their tactics change, which we'll talk about later, which I find that if you were to go to an ancient dragon's tomb, again, I feel like it's the easiest one to get into. Yeah. Um, just tactics wise, especially even if it's an ancient dragon, it's one of the easier tombs or crypts to get into or whatever. But then when you fight it, I feel like it's hand-to-hand -hand combat is a heck of a lot stronger than if you were to fight, you know, a, a different dragon where their tactics are more around keeping you away or pausing you where you are or just avoiding fighting you, right? Yeah. So I feel like this one for me differed a little bit more than some of the other ones. Well, it's interesting because this one is the one with the repulsion breath. It's the only thing in the game that I'm aware of that has the repulsion breath. Right, so the idea that it does just push you away and keep you there, right? It's going to push you sixty feet away, and that's the other thing about this. This doesn't stack. Th that number does not go up between adult and ancient. Sixty feet is the max that it goes. It doesn't add adult. Yeah, yeah. I see them as being the only fight when necessary dragon, right? As much as they yeah. do want to prove themselves, they want to prove themselves in the honorable way on in battle. Mm -hmm. So they're they're the only one that I see like the rogue steals from them. They turn into their dragon self and they put their foot on the rogue's chest and they stomp him into the ground, but they don't squish him. It's not damage. You're just grappled. And then he tries to talk sense into yeah. you. Why would you steal from a fucking dragon? I see them as being calm and, and straightforward. Yeah, I would agree. I feel like they can fuck you up. They just choose not oh, yes. to. These really, they, they really feel more like NPCs than monsters. So I see that what you said, they're pinning, not damage, but grappling as being just part of their rules of engagement. They're trying to restrain you before taking any violent action against you. Yeah, it's implied too with their bartering that they're willing to settle for less if that's what you can afford, right? It's, yeah. So they are willing to, to use reason and to see past... These are not the emotional dragons. These are the ones that I think if they would get angry, they would go back into their quarters and they would close the door quietly and then you would hear smashing and they would come out and say, I'm better now. <laughs> they never want to reveal their emotions, truly. They just... Yeah. <laughs> 
all of my temper tantrum <laughs> elsewhere. But a, a, but a I, good I general feel like these... does not does not crumble in front of the troops, right? Like that yeah. that's this guy. No, but I feel like this dragon also solves like the 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 overzealous barbarian issue. Like if you have a party with an idiot barbarian who is going to run and attack this thing, it's not going to attack you back right away, right? Yeah. It, like the barbarian's going to run in and he's going to be like, "I'm sorry, let me just excuse you, back it up, give me a sec." Like what's happening, right? And I feel like this is a good teacher for a lot of first time D and D players. Of sometimes it does help to pause. And talk to your kobolds before you attack them, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel <laughs> like minds. right. So, minds. <laughs> so I feel like this one is definitely like a good teacher for some players. Just saying. you know, you know yeah. the, the other thing that I want to point out as far as as um, we're talking about its overall combat ability and whatnot. If you look at the art in the monster manual between all of the metallic dragons, this is the only one that has tatters to its wings. Yeah, which which tracks for me for not only swimming. Water's thicker than air, obviously. It's got a bunch of shit floating in it. It's going to just take damage being in and out of water all the time. But also, it's yeah. battle-hardened. This guy has, has probably got tons of scars. And his wings have got holes in them. And he can still function. It doesn't affect his fly speed. But um, he's he's been through shit. You can tell. By the time that he re- reaches Ancient, he's been alive for how many hundreds of years? He's seen some wars. Strangely, his wisdom's not the highest. His charisma's high. But I feel like he would be one of the wisest, I would play him as being one of the wisest anyway, of the metallic dragons. Yeah, I feel like this is the Goku of dragons. Like, wants to be the best, but won't boast about being the best. Will always fight the same person over and over again if they get stronger, because they want to prove that they are strong as well, right? Like, they they will go into battle for proving themselves, right? Yeah, so. I'm with you. Okay, so let's uh, let's roll some dice and do what we do in just a second. So finishing up with top, topic one here, I want you guys to touch on whichever of these points you want to. So a favorite mechanical aspect, a favorite tier for combat, go-to combat maneuver, and if you have a good one, an unorthodox usage. You guys ready to roll? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Let's go. I got a 19, son. 13. I got a, I got a four. <laughs> you got a four? I get it. So you guys can just listen to me for another five minutes. Perfect. Um, okay. Favorite mechanical aspect I want to touch on is the fact that this is an amphibious dragon, but it, because it's a very military-like dragon, I imagine it to be a very strategic thinker and very tactical in its approach. So that amphibious portion of, of this dragon is going to come into play a lot. I imagine underground tunnels with very little breathing space uh, or areas to come up and get your breath, winding tunnels, a little bit of a maze, and an area where if it comes to combat, this dragon can control the area so a go-to combat maneuver for me would be because i if you want to come and get me i'm forcing you to go underwater is combining repulsion breath with frightful presence if you're in water getting above them repulsing them down to the bed of that river and then frightful presence so that they cannot move closer to you don't know what you guys opinions are on those but that's mine (laughs) i feel like he would have to decide that you are worthy of dying like, that is, like, an insta-death mechanic, in my opinion. So, like, you would have to have gone to the point where he's like, nope, you're an evil bad person, I'm going to kill you, and this is the easiest way that I can do it. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe just let you up in that final six seconds, let you up so you can float to the top, and uh, and then catch your breath, just to show that they have beaten you, and if they wanted you dead, you would be dead. It's their version of waterboarding. <laughs> he, he, doesn't even, <laughs> he doesn't even need to let you die. You just have to go unconscious, yeah. and he will go down and pick you up and bring you... You know, like, he doesn't want to kill you. He's just subduing you, right? He's going to keep the the barbarian down to to two death saves underwater and then go down again. Yeah, 
And an unorthodox usage I wanted to throw in there as well after that was uh, I like the idea of him having some sort of position or responsibility in the kingdom. So they're coastal dwellers. They're in the coastal cliffs. So I imagined him being in charge of like customs and border patrol or something and seeing the ships on the horizon. <laughs> then he flies out and then changes shape and lands. And he they, everyone knows that he's the person that inspects the ship and tries to find the smugglers and stuff. I think he just like, he shows up. He polymorphs. He swoops down, everyone braces for impact, and then suddenly there's a loud thump, and there's a human standing there in bronze armor with a clipboard going, yeah. what, what wares are you bringing in? <laughs> yeah. I love it. Uh, who's next, Megan? Uh, yeah, me. So um, I was trying to think of something similar to try and solve the issue of that their layers are technically the easier ones to get into. Um, so I kind of wanted to try like a combat maneuver slash unorthodox use is combo the lightning bolt and the fact that they're surrounded by water so right. if so i'm almost imagining all of these underground underwater tunnels come into a layer where it's surrounded by a moat of water and there's just a dry patch of land in the center and then so you can't <laughs> escape he like basically thunder like lightning bolts the water around you so if yeah. you touch the water you will be injured die or be stuck in the water so he almost traps you in there with him Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, and so you can't escape. And then that, that would be his way of having his hand to hand combat and you can't run. Right. So if he is going up against you in the sense that he wants to prove himself to you and he doesn't want you to escape, like that would be a good tactic to kind of hold you in or keep yeah. you out. Right. Cause you can't get through the barrier of lightning to get in, or you have to think of a creative way to get in. And if you figure out a way to get in, you are worthy of talking to him. Yeah. 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 I guess that's something that I would want to see here is. I mean, does it not make sense that we would see more lightning around the bronze dragon, especially with all of the thunder and the the coastal things that that are going on? I like the idea of there being like arcing electricity or even smell ozone in this area. Or maybe he has just like pet electric eels or something, right? To to really lean into the lightning aspect of this this creature like almost like the humidity the, even just the humidity in the air changes and it gets heavier to breathe like you know how like when you walk into like a hurricane storm like the humidity is thick right yeah, yeah. so you should almost have like a you can't breathe as well i like it i like him having an idea the idea of him having like a a perch or an area like the top of a lighthouse where he fires his lightning breath from like a killer lighthouse Make him write that down. <laughs> I am Dragon Lighthouse. This is what it is. <laughs> and with Dragon specifically, a hundred and twenty foot line as well. It it makes sense that he can sit on top of a cliff or on top of a lighthouse and just fucking smoke ships going by. Yeah. Oh my god! I'm just imagining that being their their favorite pastime is just like light and boltening. Like you know how like you golf off of the ledge of like a dock. I'm imagining yeah. that that's the dragon's pastime is just like shooting lightning bolts at passing ships, but not hitting them. Just scaring the shit out of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just so they know. Okay, P's and Q's when we're around here. Yeah. Okay, uh, Adam, you're next. Okay, so my big thing that I wanted to focus on was the repulsion breath because it's so damned unique. And I love the idea of him using the repulsion breath to pin someone at the bottom of a, of a river or a, a lake. Right, where he hits you every time you try to come up, but just as you get close, he smacks you back down. Terry, you kind of hit this one, but I wanted to take it a little bit further. If you are ever going to chase this guy, in the middle of the chase, as you get close, turn around and knock you back. 
right? If you are, yeah. if like you are on some sort of, if you are riding your own ambush drake, or you're on the back of your wyvern, or your hippogriff, or whatever it is, chasing him down because he doesn't want to kill you. He's going to push you back. He's going to exhaust you, and he's going to keep going. The idea that he would, when in battle, the strategic place for this guy to be is near bridges and ledges, because he's got a cone for the repulsion breath. So he's just going to walk up to that battalion's coming at him and knock everybody on the left off the ledge. Mm. And and now he's just wiped out a quarter of the of the people coming at him. Like the, his big thing is going to be um you know uh, in the movie 300 where they've got like the sharp cliff on the left and the and like that goes up and sharp cliff on the right that goes down and they're just yeah. like this is that's an ideal place for him to be and he'll hug the cliff so that he can push people off of it while he's fighting the others with with his hand-to-hand mm-hmm. combat, right? I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I just, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. I just also, like, imagined, you know, how, like, in a battlement, like, if they have the, the spiky fences facing towards, like the, like, the offensive coming towards you, so that, like, it's almost like a deterrent or a blockade, they, they yeah. face them in the opposite direction. The dragon lets them come through and then repulses them back up against the spiky wall. Right, so they almost feel like they're safe passing through this random fence, but it's actually spiked on the opposite side, and then pushes them backwards. I think that's phenomenal. I like the idea of now creating a, a whole idea of there's a, a clutch of eggs where there are a bunch of um, like wormlings that are there together, and they're all waiting. And the inside of this cavern has spikes all the way around it, because the only thing the worm is going to do is just push you back. They're just going to impale you on the spikes. That's how they defend mm-hmm. themselves. Right, so I, like I I think that's cool. Um, I also like the idea of them pushing objects over to pin people underneath them, using their 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 repulsion breath. This is mm. especially effective when they're doing it with coral underwater, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. they don't need to then use their repulsion breath every round and hope that it recharges and so on and so forth. They just hit this coral; it pins you. It's way too heavy for you to be able to pick up. You're underwater. What do you do? You you wait until he comes by and, and picks it up. Because he's got a freaking 29th in strength. I, I got a question. It Breath weapons. The dragon can use one of the following breath weapons. And it recharges on a 5 or 6. You guys, I mean, I know how I play it. But it's not it's not very straightforward here. You Would you guys play it so that if you use the lightning breath, you still need to recharge a 5 or 6 before you can use the repulsion breath? Or did each one of them recharge on a 5 or 6? Oh, I'd always thought that you could use each one of them. That you didn't have to roll if you use lightning breath. You don't have to recharge to roll to use repulsion breath. Yeah, I would. I would say the same thing. Just because I feel like they're utilizing a different muscle, if that makes sense, or even a different store of energy. Yeah. Because uh, see, I'm I'm with you guys. That's how I run it too. Rules is written. It says breath weapons. And then it says the dragon can use one of the following breath weapons. But after it says that this recharges on a five or six. So I think rules is written is you get to use one and then it has to uh, recharge. Right. And that's rules is written. But I really, I don't like that. I, I hate that. I, I would say that, that for a dragon, especially an ancient dragon, that would be one of the things that I would make a big difference between ancient and adult. Yeah. Cause I feel like they're firing, like, like for instance, if it's fire, they're firing fire breath, fire breath, fire breath. And then finally they're just like, okay, this isn't working. I need to get out of here. They're going to auto switch to whatever their escape breath weapon is. And most dragons have an escape breath weapon, whether it's the freezing or, you sleep. know, the rep- or sleep or repulsion, right? Like it's almost like that's their, 
this is how I'm yeah. going to get out. They reserve that energy to be able to use it at will almost. Now, yeah. okay, so so uh, I said before my favorite tier of combat is um, going to be tier three. Just even if, even for an ancient, I think that's the right level, high tier three or low tier three for an adult. Because mm-hmm. your guys are going to be, you know, uh, parties hit harder than, than their weight class, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially in later tiers. So I like them as, a, as an NPC lower and then maybe a fight at higher. My unorthodox usage on this is if he's an ally with everybody, if uh, if your guys are falling and he can't catch them, it makes a whole lot of sense that he would fly down to the ground first. His fly speed is 80 feet, right? Which means that he can dash another uh, another 80 on top of that. So that's, that's 160. And you fall at 100 feet per round. So he can get beneath you, right? And I like that he gets down to the ground and he looks up and uses his repulsion breath to slow you. And it's kind yeah. of a fake feather fall. You'll still take damage mm-hmm. when you hit, but you'll land on a dragon and he has slowed your fall significantly. Yeah. Ah. Instead of taking Just like use. 100 feet of damage, you're only taking the 40 from the, the burst, right? Yeah. Interesting. Any final thoughts before we move on? Mm, I've got many thoughts, but no, let's move on. <laughs> I, I, I can talk for a while. <laughs> well, that's it for topic one, so we'll be back after this short break. Hello, Internet. It's Terry here. I'm listening to the special series on Eberron that Dave is running, and it's completely fantastic. I like how he's doing a deep dive on all the crazy, unique parts of the world, and he's really giving a tour of all the weird places and strange mentalities in the high-adventure steampunk setting. What I like about steampunk is it's as though we've gone back to the Industrial Revolution, the Victorian period, but it's like in the real world we've discovered things in a different order. So now we have this high-fantasy, incredible, fantastical look at the world, but some things seem so mundane, so it's like the world has been twisted into a strange and unique order. If steampunk and dinosaurs and pulp adventures interest you, but you know nothing about Everon, or even if you're looking to start a campaign there, check out the series on iTunes, Spotify, and more, and don't forget to set up your subscriptions and auto-downloads. Okay, back to the show. Alright team, moving into topic two then, so we're going to talk about some social encounters, so we'll roll dice in just a second, but we're looking for favorite social or environmental trait, favorite tier uh, for social encounters, and then standard social encounter you might have, and then uh, any allies or expectations that you might think about this dragon, okay? Are you ready to go? Yep. Let's do it. I got a seven. I got three. (laughs) I got a 14. (laughs) Megan, you win. I will take it. I kind of start with, I agree with you, Adam, where I find that a lot of these dragons, a social encounter with these ones is usually good for a lower tier. We're talking about social encounters, just in the sense that these give you a lot of really good information givers. Um, but I like the idea that these guys are family based. I know I talk about that a lot, kind of like how Adam always talks about eggs. I like to talk about their family life. Um, so these guys, they mate for life and they keep their kids around until like they're adults and then they separate or what have you, but they mate for life to the point where they, um, even if their mate dies, they don't find a new one. They just live alone for the rest of their life. Right. So I just find that these are the ones that you meet that if they're alone, they're either a sad divorcee, which I think would be a really interesting social encounter where it's like a single dad with its kids. Right. (laughs) I find that like, I just feel like that would be a really, really weird expectation for your dragon in the sense where you're, you're expecting to meet this very frightening looking dragon, but really you just walked into a single dad's home with four younglings running around and he's just stressed to the max. 
right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I just feel like that's a really, really different way to role play and interact with these dragons to, to really dig into the fact that they have lives, they have relationships, they have kids, they have these thoughts, they have these emotions and these feelings. And to your point, these, these guys are your, your more mongers. They're the ones that know how to battle. But at the end of the day, sometimes they come home to their family, right? And I think that that is just a really, really good different way to look at dragons is how do they respond when they're having a serious conversation with you in their lair, they've just repulsed you and they're trying to have a conversation with you. And all of a sudden their youngest child walks behind them and taps someone's leg and says, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> like that's almost what I'm imagining in this. And then like, yeah. he's trying to teach his children a lesson who are standing behind him while they're talking to you. Like yeah. they're like, they're having a conversation of like, and that's how you be diplomatic, Johnny. Right? Like, <laughs> like that's so you do it. Yeah. And I just, we are convincing him to do what we want. Right. <laughs> and I just thought it was such a different way to look at these dragons, particularly because when you read about them, you do read that they're they're battle tactics, they're these they're the strongest, they're the paladins, but at the end of the day, they're charismatic and they're they're in my mind good people, right? They're wholesome. And that's kind of how I see them as they want to teach these lessons to their kids. So if you're gonna have a social interaction with them um but yeah i don't know what you guys' thoughts are having social encounters with it as if it was to be a family dragon uh well adam you get to go next well no okay just to, to respond to that really quickly i i love the idea of dragons having some sort of familial tie an ancient dragon has a horde and that's all well and good but when they approach the end of their life who does the horde go to if for the, whatever reason the bronze dragon never made it i think that this is the one that would say okay i want all of the best warriors in the kingdom to come here who is going to earn my riches. Yeah. And that would be a really cool set piece for, I don't know, tier tier three, right? To, to sit down and fight gladiatorial style. And it's not to the death because we, we're not going to kill warriors today. But the bronze dragon is going to definitely sit back and, and rank you on how well you fight. And people from all nations and races are welcome here. There's going to be hobgoblins showing up to fight and uh and warforged and like there's going to be all sorts of crazy shit going on uh you're going to see just this crazy um like long lineup of, of 500 people waiting to sign up for these battles because who's going to win right and and i think that uh that whoever it is that wins will get the horde and an honorary title of the dragon protector for the until the end of their life or whatever it is right so yeah yeah so i like the idea of them being concerned about their succession as well yeah yeah i feel it i like the idea of these dragons coming in coming in tier three when you're starting to get into a really heavy part of your of your story arc where everything's starting to ramp up a little bit and i like the idea of the challenge being for this npc is is not not a combative challenge but it says right there in their lore that they, when a war or, or you know, a huge conflict is about to start, they weigh up uh, their options, they weigh up their judgment of either side and then choose the side that they want to go with. I feel like a, a huge task for a party here is to, is to convince a dragon to go one way or another with various, you know, quests or whatever you want to do, side quests, to provide evidence for that or to, to try creative different ways to get around this this challenge of defeating this dragon, if you will, um, but leaning more on the skills of some other players, not just stab. I do. I feel like it leans into you, you're almost, sorry, I feel like if you were to have that kind of a, a low-tier like interaction with this dragon, it would almost be that time where your team reestablishes what its goals are 
right? Oh, that's a good point. Like yeah. if your team is falling off the wayside, you don't know if you're good or bad. All of these things are happening and your team is just kind of lost and have no idea what's happening. Throw a bronze dragon at them. Ask them, ask the dragon for help. And the dragon's like, tell me what your plight is and why you're going for it and prove to me why I need to help you. And it would force yeah. your team to talk about what their goal is and why. Right. I, I also like the idea of, of you knowing that you are up against impossible odds, but a bronze dragon, an ancient bronze dragon, is going to sway this upcoming battle in a major way. And so you get tasked, your quest is to go convince the bronze dragon in his lair. And so yeah. you got to get, you got to pass all of these tests and then you got to get up to them. You have to, to um, hold your own in one-on-one -on -one combat for, I don't know, a full minute. So someone has to go 10 rounds with this guy. Um, and like there's all this crazy shit going on. And then at the end, the bard steps forward to tell him what, you know, to be charismatic and talk him into it. And the wizard is going for the greater good and the arcane powers and the gods of this. And the cleric is, is going off about, well, we, we know that the, the people, this and the orphanage, that, and everyone's going, and he just stops and he goes, everybody stop. And he turns to the paladin or the fighter, whoever the knight is and say, and says, do you actually need me in combat? What are what are the odds? What are the numbers? What is the strategy? What can I do? Mm -hmm. And then he'll yeah. weigh it. And if he feels like he can't do anything or you have enough, then he's out, right? But yeah. if, if it's a good challenge or like, because they also have to prove themselves. They're not always going to pick the winning side, right? They may want to choose the underdog. Yeah, or it could even be a sense of like you're talking to, if you do a higher tier social interaction with like an ancient dragon and you're having this conversation to prove yourself to him, He's like, you know what? I feel like you need something for your plate, <clears throat> but it's not me. I've got my eldest son who needs to prove himself. I will send him with you. Yeah. Right. And and now you've got this cranky teenager who doesn't want to follow you, but is a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, my favorite environmental trait is the fact that it says the regional effects within its lair, the dragon can set illusory sounds such as soft music and strange echoes so that they can be heard in various parts of the lair. I love that this guy's got an iTunes playlist that just is on repeat. <laughs> like I just, I just love the idea that he's consistently jamming out. There was a bard that came by one time, and he, and he, this is not the dragon that like hoards bards. That's not what this is. <laughs> but he's like, oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Let, let, let me hear that again, so I have it in my head. And then he listens to the song. And goes, yes, okay. And then you'll hear that song echoing through his, through his lair every once in a while, right? <laughs> I think the minions that work there are sick to death of the same playlist. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's like uh, it's like Walmart at Christmas time, where just oh, you, you can see the minions with that dead look in their eye because that it's, song it's comes like on more time. It's like if you have a favorite, time. you know, like a favorite like local restaurant that's just the one you go to every other week or something. Like Browns, I kind of like Browns, and it's always the same playlist that's in there. And I'm mm -hmm. thinking the poor staff here must be sick to death of this. I feel yeah. like he would have no sense of what type of music it is either. So like you just start playing Christmas music in the background, like Jingle Bells. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, what the heck is he doing? It's not even Christmas. And he's just like, yeah. Jingle. He's just rocking out to it. Because he's like, it's he has true. no idea that it's thematic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, the humans, do they like this one? Yes, they love it. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard them play it all year round. Like They played it for like three months straight. So they must love it. <laughs> he, oh, he's that guy that's still playing disco on the radio, completely out of touch with everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, these guys, they, they scream to me that they are their mentors, right? I want them, yeah. like I said before, I want them at low level to be mentors and to, to help out. I like the idea of them having an eye on the, uh, 
on their succession. I like, I love the idea of them having, you know, the, the squire to their knight, right? As the young one yeah. is coming up and being trained. But I also like the idea of them. They see the, the ridiculous, the Tarask is coming. The Tarask is coming and there's nothing that can be done. Evacuate the city. I'll hold them off. Yeah. yeah. I'll buy you as much time as I can. And these would be the emotional sacrifice at tier three. But where yeah. you, you know, the party knows this is it. Say goodbye. You're never seeing this character again. And then, yeah. and then you can watch in the distance from the mountain pass as everyone, you know, disappears into the hills. You, you can, you can see the Tarrasque eating the remains of the bronze dragon friend, right? Like, like that's, that's how this goes in my head. I really like this as a tier three emotional sacrifice or combat. Because you guys done fucked up one too many times, and you know this guy is, is yeah. loyal to the cause, not to you, right? So I love the idea of, of the party trying to escape and seeing the dragon fall like into the burning city. The lightning breath still going off every six seconds, and then it's every twelve, and it's eighteen, and then there's just that last one, and then there's no more. Yeah. Oh my god, Adam, you almost made me cry. Oh, I love it. All right, it's time for a short break. Hi everyone. It's Adam here, and I just wanted to return the little favor that Dave gave me not that long ago. He wished me a very happy birthday a couple of weeks ago, and I just wanted to wish him a happy birthday. His birthday is June 17th, and he's officially entering his mid-30s now. So Dave, coffee bitch Dave, if you're listening to this, I hope that you have a wonderful day, and I hope that you momentarily forget the dawning realization of the existential dread of knowing that another milestone has been noted in the ever-marching and never-yielding passage of time as you descend toward oblivion and dust. But seriously, have a wonderful day and keep on smiling. Now back to the episode. See how I left that emotional moment really quickly there because I didn't want us to dwell on that. So <laughs> I don't want to actually feel emotions today, says Terry. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not in my schedule. Not until Sunday. Well, you know that the next time you see Dan, he's going to have to give you a hug now. Oh, God. Dan's one of those characters, actually, which kind of looks like he could be a Hell's Angel or like he used to be, but then he got turned away from it for a better life. <laughs> That's what well, he looks like. When in reality, Dan, and I know that he's going to listen to this, so I think he's going to laugh at this, but but Dan was raised as, as the nice, happy little Christian boy who dabbled with, with meatloaf on the radio. And, and I've <laughs> oh listened to Metallica. I, I just outed you, Dan. Deal with it. Yeah. 10 to 1, this gets cut. <laughs> All right, okay, so moving on to topic three, let's talk campaign usage. So we'll roll in a second. We're going to talk about when to use as a big bad evil guy, uh, when to use a set piece encounter, or when or how to introduce worshippers. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. Let's go. Oh, God, fuck, fucking hell. Eight. Oh, so did I. I'm rolling off again. Come on, let's do this. Roll off. I got eight. I got, I got a 15. Sorry, I'm going second. Oh, fuck. I'll just go last again. Me- Who's going first? Megan so did, again? So did I win this with an eight? Yeah, and you won the last one as well. Stop going on about it. <laughs> I love it. Fucking hell. Comes on the item. She never stops mouthing off. When <laughs> I'm we sorry. finally get into the episode. Well, <laughs> she, she just wants to be like you, Terry. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. No sarcasm in that at all. Uh, I just want to point out that Megan shaved like the side of her head and then Terry did his whole head, so... Yeah. We, we so know which way this like, hero worship goes. I feel you know, yeah. So, but, that I, I have, <laughs> but I am not shaving my whole head. So you can have I, that one. That's yours. <laughs> so did, did I get this Look, right? Did Megan win the hair competition then? 
<laughs> at this she, point, yes, I did. So it's official. I feel, like feel like she was always winning a little bit. I feel like I'd come in with something good and she'd just do what I was doing, but better than me with a shared side. <laughs> and it's like, it's like the thing where Terry shows up with like a single braid going on and Megan slip with cornrows. Yeah. You're like, damn it. <laughs> I'm such an extreme emotional person as well. I didn't even know I was going to shave my head that day. I was just like, I'm sick of this shit. Boom, oh, gone. Did you start at your ankles and work your way up? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that was that was easy. I mean, I was past my nipples before I had to stop. So, oh, right, <laughs> Megan. Anyways, can I get into this now, or are we just going to keep making fun of Terry? Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, when I'm thinking about campaigns and thinking about introducing one of these guys as a big bad evil guy, um, I, I always think about this really hard: is how do you make something that is inherently on the good side of things, something that appears evil or just is evil? And I usually tend to lean towards the "I've gone crazy" side out of old age nonsense. So I felt that fit really well into the bronze dragon. Yeah. Because in my mind, I'm thinking of this old man, ancient dragon, who is really, really hell-bent against... He, he knows what he's about. He knows that this is right, this is wrong. My entire area that I've been in for the last million centuries, um, there's no evil here, there's no pirates, there's no, like, trafficking, there's nothing. Like, my city is good, everything is clean. And then he starts turning on his people, right? So then he starts going after, like, the small thieves in the town. And killing the poor children who need to steal for food, right? Having that moral dilemma of, I'm a poor person, so I need to steal this food, but I'm going to get killed by this dragon that's been taking care of us for the last million centuries because it's against his laws, right? Mm. It's almost like he's so insanely hellbane to get his laws that he doesn't have that window of morality anymore. It's just You're going to get electrocuted for jaywalking? Yeah, exactly, right? So he's the over-policing helicopter parent of his town now to the point where he's killing people unnecessarily and the town is trying to figure out how do we get rid of this dragon? You now employ such and such adventurers to help you get rid of this dragon somehow, right? Because they're just yeah. like, we can't live like this anymore. But we've been established here for centuries and centuries and centuries. This is a, we've been here for forever. We can't just up and leave. We need to deal with this somehow, right? So then it's the whole morality thing of this is actually a good dragon. They've just gone crazy. How do we deal with that? Right. So it would definitely play on the morale like of your team and like their morality as well as like their alliances and really what they think and what they want and how they're going to deal with this situation. Right. So that's kind of how I thought I would introduce like a dragon like this as an evil guy if you're playing mm -hmm. a good campaign. But I do feel like these guys are very easy to be a target if you're playing an evil campaign yeah <clears throat> so i don't have a lot of details on what it would be like because i really focused in on <clears throat> sorry i feel like dan today oh my god <laughs> oh, oh Megan. i'm so sorry <laughs> i know but yeah that, that's kind of like how i thought of what do you guys think of that i like it. it's kind of like you've gone full circle it's like okay i couldn't swing this way because i've got to be good aligned but if i go all the way good and come all the way back around again that's kind of where you get to you you get into that odd that lawful stupid perspective right that yeah. everyone hates yeah. the paladin for doing right like like, the paladin won't even execute a bandit on the side of the road who just killed the rogue, right? Yeah. So, so everybody else is sitting there mad and rolling their eyes because the paladin's like, no, we uphold the law here, right? And yeah. So. <laughs> Fucking worst character ever. The, the paladin that won't even let you loot the crypt after you've killed all the skeletons. Yeah. yeah. This doesn't belong to us. Yeah. It's like, what the hell are we playing this game for? <laughs> yeah. yeah. If I kill it, I get its stuff. What are you? Exactly. <laughs> Who's next? That, that'd be me. 
Here's what I got. When to use it as a big bad evil guy? This is when the bronze dragon has gone to war and just keeps going to war over and over because there have been slights against it. He's got his own kingdom. These are my people and I protect it. These are my borderlands and I protect them. But you guys keep doing your shit at my border. So I have to keep pushing my border and, and giving law and, and I am expanding my territory to bring peace to the area. But in doing so, he's just descending the landscape into chaos. Right, the consistent war and all of the casualties and whatnot, and you don't find out until much, much later that this whole thing started because he is famous as being the only bronze dragon to have defeated a red dragon, which is way outside his his weight class. He shouldn't be able to do that. And mm-hmm. then you find out much, much later that it, he had allied with a green dragon who's still whispering in his ear. And this is from Lord of the Rings, King Theon with worm tongue working at him. Oh yeah, yeah. right. And so I really like the idea of, of him being so righteous and so upfront and loyal with the, with the green dragon twisting it in his ear. I like that, that. that. That's my big, that's my big, this is how you have a big bad evil guy. And in the end, you probably don't fight bronze dragon. You probably fight the green dragon, right? But you'll have to go through the bronze dragon to get to him. Yeah. Right? But I feel like that would be the challenge for your group is do they dig in deep enough to find out that the green dragon is whispering in their ear or do they automatically go and just kill the bronze dragon and then later on find out about the green dragon and then feel like shit because they killed this bronze dragon for almost no reason. Well, th- that's up to your players to see how much I know, how but I feel are. like that's a really good way to play it because the result is so different, right? It's so polarized and it would really teach your team how to dig in a little bit more. Right. Yeah. So can can I swap it for a second yeah. and, and and do something that's because that's really heavy and that that's great like end of the campaign reveal or or battle. I want to flip it. I would like you to have now bronze kobolds <laughs> follow him around and he doesn't want these these craven little cowardly bastards following his every move. But there are so many of them and they're doing their best. They're just so annoying and they call themselves the holy order of whatever his name is because they worship him as a god. And they're always doing the right thing, but it's in their nature to like also eat babies. They'll, they'll eat the baby, but they'll they'll give you a, a baby cow instead. Like we we replaced it. There, we're even, right? Okay, we're good. Yeah, justice. And then off off they go. And they've got this weird little morality because kobolds are not going to really be able to understand the loyalty and the strategy and the 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 lawful good nature. So they're applying their own ridiculous chaotic shit. And the bronze dragon is consistently like chastising them. Oh my god! And I just love the idea of him being so annoyed with them. How many times do I have to tell you not to masturbate in public? Oh my god! Right. And and just like and, and like that level of shit all the time. I love the fact that you were volunteering at the orphanage, but fuck, stop masturbating in public. <laughs> especially if you're at the orphanage <laughs> yeah what the hell so like, like i really love the idea of of the, the ancient bronze dragon just like tolerating these fucking kobolds that worship him because it i think it's i think it's a, a dead giveaway that he's gonna have knights and paladins and kings and righteous warriors and stuff that that would be his minions right he would have dragonborn minions that that follow him around and spread the word and so on and so forth and he probably has a barter too to go barter for him 
right? He has people to go negotiate for how much his mercenary perspective on the world is is going to cost people. Yeah, but no, I I love the idea of of the freaking kobolds that are they just got it all twisted. Yeah, I feel like your idea of the bards would be a, a neat thing where they give him the information about who the next strongest warrior is. Right? Yeah. So that he knows who to look for and keep an eye out for and try and find. Or he might even just say, well, go and bring them to me. Right? Because they want yeah. the challenge. Right? So I think that'd be neat. Do, do you think this mm-hmm. guy sits there and he gets the best strategic military minds in times of peace to come to his lair? I will invite you for a week. Come with me. I have many war games and strategies. Let's start by playing chess. <laughs> and he just puts together an escape room to see if they can get out. No, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's more of a copper dragon kind of thing to do. That's true, right? yeah. <laughs> but but no, I, I can picture him sitting there playing chess. He sits there and he and he tells war stories and, and says, What do you think? What what should I have done? Right? And they, they talk it out, right? I love yeah. the idea that he's always strategizing in his own mind. Or the monk shows up and he says, Ah, a flurry of blows. Show me again how you do that. Right. Mm-hmm. And like he wants to know the best tactics and Maybe, maybe this guy's horde is war machines. Like, I know it says war machines in the fucking, like, breakdown, but maybe it is yeah. literally machines of war, where he's got yeah. ballistas like a and war cannons, and, and yeah, he's got, he's got an ancient war museum, yeah, right? And yeah. it's, he just collects interesting and unique weapons, and this was the blade of the general that fell when at such and such a battle that maybe he wasn't even at. He just collects historical like remnants of or relics rather of previous battles. I like it. Love it. All right, that's me. I think right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of the bronze dragon being part of a campaign which is essentially choose your own big bad, and I mean this in a way that there's a giant flashing indicator on how well you're doing with regards to alignment. Because there's always that question: Are we the bad guys? I like the idea of there being a potential big bad bronze or a potential big bad ancient black dragon. And depending on who is trying to ally with you or whose good graces you're in should give you a real good indicator of where you are as a, as a party on that alignment chart. So that question of, are we the bad guys, is answered when the bronze dragon shows up and says, you have been judged to be evil or whatever, or, or source of tyranny, um, and then they start coming after you. Um, so I want to use them as a giant indicator of alignment. Um, so if the bronze dragon's coming after you, then yes, you are the bad guys. And essentially, you're just an NPC in his campaign of D&D because you're the thing that he's trying to defeat. So I like this. Um, I like the idea of them being an enemy that has rules of engagement so that they will parlay and they will meet with you and and essentially negotiate but they are not a threat of hurting you. I kind of like it as like the whole Professor X and Magneto relationship like meeting in the park to play chess, even though they're total enemies as soon as they leave. Um, I like the idea of bargaining for ceasefires, swapping prisoners of war, um, him giving you an opportunity to give back certain lands as like as part of a political deal. I like this as the enemy that, that you're not just defeating by hit points, but kind of strategically in, in other ways. I really like that. I also like... One of my favorite things to, to picture, and I've never brought this up before, but one of my favorite things to picture is if all ten dragons are sitting around a table talking and they're trying to negotiate peace and what each one of them is doing. Like you picture the yeah. white one like leaning in the corner or like pacing back and forth ready to have a fight. Right. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. the copper one is just laughing at whatever the blue one says just to piss him off. Right. Yeah. And like and and the gold and the red are sitting there trying to talk calmly, but the red just keep freaking out about shit. And will you guys just shut up? 
we're working here, right? And like, and on and on. And you can just picture the bronze dragon standing by the door with his great sword, his hands like on the pommel of it, just, just waiting. The, the one in the shadows, like in the corner that you forget is there sometimes. <laughs> well, I, th I think that, I think that's the black one. The black one is probably <laughs> hiding in the shadows. Um, well, he just has a hood up with a dagger though. Like, let's be Yeah, cool. okay. <laughs> that, that's, that's fair. Do, do you think they're dumb? Do you think you can play them dumb? Right, honorable but stupid. Their intelligence is not high, like <sighs> compared. Their charisma is right, so like it might be hard to fool them. But I also feel like you might be able to get one over on them. Well, I mean, if you know what their their goals are and what their you know alignment is in the sense of what they want, you can use that against them because they're so dug into their presence and what they want that if someone comes up and you can use it against them. I think you're going to have a hard time. I think you're going to have a hard time deceiving them or tricking them in person. Their charisma is still pretty good. But I think with regards to, to intelligence uh, and maybe because they're going to think more st strategically and military-like as opposed to maybe intrigue and, and, and deception uh, behind the scenes. So in that fashion, yeah, I think you probably could. Mm -hmm. Like I, I feel like they would know if you're lying and they'd be really good at, strat at understanding what the strategies of other kingdoms are going to be. But if you were to right. walk in and say, I heard a rumor that these guys are over here doing this and we know that the prince is doing that. I think you would just take it at face value. And you would say, yeah. yes, okay, that makes sense. Unless it was totally egregious, right? And yeah, like it absolutely. made zero sense at all. So I really think you could manipulate a bronze dragon too. If you were, if you really latched onto the idea of being an evil party, you you could manipulate a bronze dragon in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, we'll get to rolling one more time then. We'll get to our uh, unique uh, creative uh, character ideas. So if you guys are ready, we can do it. Yep. All right. <laughs> Oh, six. I got a two. <laughs> well, my friends, I finally am going first with a natural 20. Yay! You have one last every time. <laughs> so, let me say, honestly, I like the idea of the ancient bronze dragon that has been crippled in war. He's the old veteran, and he can no longer battle. All he can do is provide support. And so he is going, he's got all this, this huge trophy room full of weapons and and all of these like i'm really digging now with the idea of the the war machines that he has and magic weapons and i think that this guy is a is a crippled veteran who's an arms merchant and when mm -hmm. you need to get the next item and and that's how he builds his horde and he sits there it's completely above board it's honorable but he essentially runs a gun shop and yeah. when when you need to go get the next oh, i want a plus 2 weapon you don't go to the blacksmith. You don't go to, to a mage to enchant your weapon. You go get the plus two weapon from the bar, from the bronze dragon. You know the price tag is this much. Yeah. And you show up. You don't have quite that much, but you also have this really interesting dagger with the red blade. And he goes, oh, interesting. Tell me the story of this. Right? And then he's going to sit there and he's going to talk with you and he wants to hear about your own your own stories. And maybe he's writing his uh, like a book about tactics and he uses other people. That's part of the price of things, right? And and so he's passing on his his knowledge and whatnot. This is his legacy, right? And I like the idea of there just being this this old general that can no longer fight. Like, he, they, he cannot take part. And he's been removed from the world for so long that he, really all he can do is talk about wars that have passed and um, great bloodlines of warriors that have risen and fallen and hmm. um i think that this is a really cool social uh npc for you to talk to who 
as long as you're on the straight and narrow, you could talk to. I, I'm thinking. Do you guys know Watchmen? Yeah. Uh, the the was it Holland Mason, who's the old original Night Owl, who is who gets murdered early. On spoiler alert, gets murdered early in the story, <laughs> but he uh, but he was the original one, and he meets with his successor, you know, every Thursday night or whatnot. And he tells stories of the good old days and he's gifted all of this knowledge and equipment to the successor. And, and he's still, he's still there. It's like if Batman retired, he would still coach Robin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And he would still say, look, I developed this new thing here. Take this with you on your next, on your next mission out. Like that's, that's kind of the, the character that I'm looking at here is someone who needs to get something out of it. Still, he's still going to barter with you. But if you're good and true and just, he'll cut you a deal. He wants to know the story. And he's going to be a real proper mentor. Which is going to be horrible when he gets murdered later. Because that's what I do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I feel like he could also be the one where um, knights and warriors travel like their lives to be able to be trained or just get an audience with this dragon, right? Not only just to get a weapon, but to get advice, training, or like, a, it's almost like a badge of honor to have spoken to this dragon if you're a warrior, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe he takes, he takes one apprentice every generation, mm -hmm. right? And, and this is not something that the players will do because that means you got to live with them for, for years. Right. Mm -hmm. But he sits there and there's always the one bronze dragon knight, right? every generation and and uh he walks around and he's got a cane and a limp and he stands on the side while his minions sit there and help this one person train up and become the best yeah yeah actually maybe that's the reward for your fighter or your paladin at the very end right at the at the end of level 20 you are now powerful enough to come under my my tutelage and you will retire out of the campaign but become the train up to be the next bronze dragon knight. Yeah. That's like your, your oh, like end, end like game it. quest is that right. So you have to stay within yeah. its good graces throughout the entire campaign. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be neat. Okay, uh, is next? it me? My turn? I think so. Yep. It's Most you, excellent. So leaning again into the family aspect, I do feel like what I would be interested in as a player is walking into a town where there is a family of these dragons that runs this town, but they've all chosen humanitarian jobs. So like the daughter is like owns the orphanage, the son is the arborer and like, like to your point, like maybe it is an ancient dragon that runs this, but they're an old retiree that's done with war, right? And just wants a life of peace and is trying to teach its children about peace, right? And so it's called forcing... back for one last mission. <laughs> right? There it's two go. days before retirement and the police chief is pissed off at him. <laughs> right? But Take my badge and my gun. Yeah, but I feel like it'd be that interesting, like, um, uh, reveal where, like, they come to this town and they walk through and they deal with this orphanage. They solve an issue with an orphanage or get helped by the, the lady who runs it. Or they go over to, like, like um, the place where they plant and farm and they help the farmers there, right? But they're actually helping these bronze dragons along the way. And then they meet this ancient dragon and he's like, oh, well, you've met my kids. And then all of these people that you've met in this town appear there and you've actually helped all of these dragons. Like and that. depending who you helped and who you didn't might sway the dragon and whether they help you with your like actual quest in the end. Right. So it's almost like yeah. you're being tested in this town with what your, you know, your, your alignment is. Right. If you're mean to everybody. Yeah. 
then obviously you're not going to get within the dragon's graces. Like I, I heard what you did to my daughter. So no, I'm not helping you. Right. I like it. Just my idea. It encourages you to challenge yourself by playing a certain way. Yeah. Like how would you actually respond to this issue happening? Right. And what, yeah. what is your ultimate goal? Are you just trying to plow through and you don't really care? So then how lawful good are you? Right. Yeah. So yeah. Mine kind of leans into yours a little bit there, Megan. Um, in that I like additional challenges coming from this dragon as an NPC. Um, I, so I like the idea of maybe this dragon is appointed as almost like a UN ambassador type character, like a security council leader, where essentially if there's going to be any war or conflict or if there's any beef within the land, it goes through this person. And then they will decide whether or not you have the right to go to war with this person, what the rules will be if you do go. So I like the idea of you maybe saying, hey, you know, I got beef with this beholder over here in this city um, or out wherever. And they'll say, OK, well, we have a good relationship with the people in that land. So if you go and fight this beholder, there could be no civilian casualties. Otherwise, it will cause this or um, OK, you can kill whoever you like, just no children. Or it's imperative that these people do not see you in this conflict and so this needs to be a stealth mission if you are seen it will cause this so the idea that this this dragon is is the person that you go to for for who who or what you can attack and then the rules are put in front of you is like an overarching puzzle to that part of the campaign um i just think you can get really interested and you can bring in some politics with it um it means you have to think so out of the box about how you're going to do things and it just adds um a friendly npc maybe um, who just gives you additional challenges to the norm yeah kind of like that it layers things right and it forces yeah. you to you see what truly matters right again that morality piece of if he tells you not to kill any of the children as you're doing this how focused are you going to be on that or does it happen by yeah. accident because you don't actually care right yeah or you can go and do this thing in this tomb or whatever but all of that treasure belongs to our allies you cannot take any of it and then just of course have irresistible items in there yeah, and that, that rogue is going to take it, right? And then you learn what the consequence of it is going to be. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, like the, I like the idea, too, of there being, like, the you have to rescue all of the kids in the orphanage, and the orphanage, it's a nunnery, right? But there's, like, a, an orphanage attached to it. And they're yeah. slaughtering the nuns. Whatever it is, the, the orcs are in there, and the gnolls are just, like, they're eating. They're fucking eating the nuns. Right, they're burning the place to the ground, and you've got to focus on the evacuation. That's your mission. Do not yeah. engage. Do not engage. Get those kids to safety. They matter more than the nuns do. Yeah. How yeah, much exactly. is that going to frustrate the barbarian who's going to run forward and engage? Right. Like <laughs> or defend the yourself. Who defend wants the kids. To save the nun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. The, the cleric is going to fucking twitch. Right. I I really like that. I, I like the uh, the mission focus that with the temptation to break ranks yeah, yeah. That's, that's a lot yeah. of fun and then and the consequences for it can i just can i just say why why is there an orphanage what like there's why is it always an orphanage i'm very guilty of this but there's always a fucking orphanage is it just like a death sentence the moment that you procreate you're you've got a fucking timer on you bud <laughs> if i was in if i lived in the forgotten realms and i was an orphan i'd just take my chances on the street i think there you, go. Well, you want that urchin background right <laughs> yeah exactly i'm not going to an orphanage it never ends well, well look Everyone's i'm gonna i'm gonna turn dead. to be I'm going to turn to be 11 years old, murder my own parents, so to get that sweet, sweet urchin background later on, right? There you go. <laughs> I did it on purpose. <laughs> All right, team. Any final thoughts on bronze dragons before we wrap this sucker up? I like them. 
I really do. They are a unique flavor. They're, uh, they feel like the polar opposite to the Copper Dragon. The Copper Dragon is yeah. all about being a prankster and being up to shit, and I thought it was a load of fun. Um, this is the other extreme on the good side, like on the good yeah. side of the uh, spectrum, but they really do feel more lawful than any of the other dragons, right? That These ones are upstanding and good. I know Dan's going to have some shit to say about the Silver Dragon being the best dragon of all time when we mm. get to it. <laughs> There's um, a silver dragon? Yeah. Yeah. God damn it, Terry. The spoiler alert. I, I know you've only gotten up to page 104 of the Monster Manual. but He's getting there, though. What page am I on? Right. Hold on. Oh, uh, 107? Did, did 107 I get the... is the ancient. I was fucking yeah. close. I was just guessing. So there we go. When is it? It's, it's 109. There. Yeah, shit. Well done. Look at me. So, but no, I, I really... I These guys, to me, they feel like like the lawful good paladin dragon yeah yep i don't know i i I really like these guys because they're just they're just wholesome right and i just generally really like lawful good and the good side of the charismatic scale just generally as a person so reading about these ones kind of made me look at dragons a little bit different especially because this one does play a lot on the morality piece of your team um, it, it forces you to really think about things. I find if you were to actually have a really good structured social encounter with these guys, you can play yeah. with it quite a bit. And I think that that customizability would make them a really, really neat NPC to have in your team. So that's my thoughts. My final thought is this NPC is absolutely not an NPC that you can have the backsteps the party because they will never trust you again. This needs to be a solid point NPC that they can trust look to for guidance they know they're never being set up and then i think with if you have that relationship in place then you can kind of guide the party if they're going off the rails a little bit this will be somebody they trust to kind of bring them back if they say hey go and do this thing they will actually do it um i think it's imperative that you don't backstab the party with this person yeah i would i would say the only way that i would pull the rug out from underneath the party with this is if you tell them that they've got to go quest towards um the the greenest of dragons or whatever it is and there is no green dragon on the on the map but they don't know that yet and it's yeah. the bronze dragon so they go in expecting an evil fight but it's this guy and he's got green tinge to him right so mm -hmm. um yeah. that would be the closest way but i mean that's that's a positive thing I, I, i'm subverting expectations but man that that's that's so much better than fighting a green dragon right <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> That's it for this week's episode on Bronze Dragons. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast, and make sure to check us out next week when we're covering Theros. Nope, we're doing Chult. It's, it's Chult, not Theros. They delayed the books, so we, we're doing Chult. So, Chult! You've reached the end of another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. Connect with us at itsamimic.com. Don't forget to subscribe and hit those share buttons. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Okay, guys. So for a quick question for you guys, and this one comes from Megan. I can't take credit for this at all. She had a good one. Um, do you take, what was the question, Megan? Do you take credit for when you do good deeds? Or have you ever done a good deed that you specifically did not take credit for it? <laughs> How good does it have to be before it's considered good? <laughs> There's the that real could be part question. of your debate. <laughs>
I mean, what, what I mean is, if it's a win-win situation, if we both win, does it still count as a good deed? Well, not every good deed has to be a sacrifice. That's a good point. That is a good point. Okay, are you guys ready to roll this? Yeah, Three, let's roll. Two, one. I got a nine. I got, I got twelve. I got a four. I'm. I won with a twelve. Yeah. yeah apparently. That's that kind of day. It's dark <laughs> yeah. days. Dark days. <laughs> Um, do I take credit? Okay, I am weirdly, and I always talk to people about how my Britishness kicks in, but I am weirdly awkward at taking credit for things. Um, I'll, I usually will either, like, I, I've learned not to shrug it off completely, but I'll usually try and deflect it back a little bit on other people. Um, I'm the most extroverted introvert ever. So if I'm in a controlled situation and I know what I'm talking about, I know what I'm doing, I'm perfectly fine um, having attention on me. But if I did not ask for it and everybody stares at me, it's unmodified. I can't handle it. Um, so do I take credit for good deeds? I try not to because it gets awkward. <laughs> that I mean that that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I was I was totally one of those guys growing up that like if I did something good, I needed to be praised for it. It was not enough to just do something good. I need I needed the accolades that come with it. It's oh I got an A on this paper. Look everyone, look at my A. Look at this. <laughs> And it was, it, I was very much that guy up until my early 20s. I got knocked down a couple of pegs pretty harsh. And then um, oh. I ended up teaching kids acting and having a room full of four to eight year olds running around. Mm-hmm. You realize that not only are you not in control of any situation, but no one gives a <laughs> shit about you. And that's okay. You can still do positive things. Even though the yeah. children do not give a shit about you. So, especially when they're not your kids, right? Like, like yeah. <laughs> your kids, they, they will appreciate you in their own weird little way. They'll come over and give you a hug. But you're like, oh, hey, look, yeah. no, I fixed the problem. Everybody everybody gets toys now. They just take the toys, look yeah. at you, and go, finally, fuck, and turn around and walk away. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like the two different perspectives there. I like it. It's nice. I'm, I don't mean to get totally female on this one, but in my mind, I was thinking about when you were talking, Terry, about, you know, just taking praise in general is really awkward. And I like yeah. feel like as a young woman, I was taught at a young age that if you accept a compliment, it's a negative thing. You always have to deflect really? it. Really? Yeah. So if oh, you, someone compliments that might, you. Well, that might just be Canadian, that, though. That might just be a Canadian Yeah, thing. maybe. But and it also, when we when you say it like that, it doesn't sound healthy, does it? No. That's, so <laughs> I was, I was, it's just like, if you're like, oh, well, well, thank you. It's like, okay, well, you think that you're a good person? It's like, well, okay. I mean, I'm so, oh, I, wow. whoa, sorry. I'll back it up then. Let me back that a little bit. No, I'm a terrible person. I'm sorry. But, um, but no, I like, uh, now as an adult, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm a, per- a very hardworking person. So every once in a while, just being recognized for hard work in general feels nice. Yeah. But when it comes to the day-to-day compliment taking and like, thanks for your help and you did a good job, yeah. it doesn't seem necessary if that makes sense now as you get older. So I'm with you. You don't need it day-to-day, but everybody likes their name dropped in the speech at the Christmas party. Yeah. At the work. Be- it's okay. Thanks to these people. <laughs> Thank you for including me in the list. Didn't want to be number one, but I'm happy being fourth. And I'm then- all right with that. Secretly, if you're not on the list, you talk to that Joe Schmo over in the corner. Like, I can't believe that wasn't on that list. Like, yeah. <laughs> I helped them, last but that's time. fine. <laughs> last time I do anything. Last time I do anything for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm never helping them ever again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs>